in today's episode of the Amon Wire podcast. When people are faced with this theodicy of evil and why this is happening, all these types of things, suddenly they throw all of that away. And that's the beauty of Islam. When you look at what our brothers and sisters are going through, in many ways, the recorded responses, Alhamdulillah, wa shukrullah, you know, this is the Mashiach of Allah. This is literally what we're seeing is this submission to the will of Allah. And what you and I in the first world or you and I in the safety of our homes need to be asking and you really need to be thinking about is not simply just the prayers that we should be having for those individuals, but what are we doing within ourselves to really prepare for that next level of our life? You know, we have anti-blackness in our Muslim communities. We have certain you know, ailments that need to be addressed of that nature. We need to be able to equip ourselves with a better way to purify and do the hard work to become at a better you know stage collectively so that we are able to mobilize so that we are able to add more meaning and more effectiveness because this is what's happening zionism is dehumanizing palestinians and the rest of the world is dehumanizing palestinians the same way that the folks here have been dehumanized of the african-american community and until we recognize this whole system and dismantle it in our hearts and in our masajid and in our communities, we are then able to you know, give better. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Iman War podcast. Salim here with Gaidar and Irfan. Assalamu alaikum, guys. Assalamu alaikum. How are you? Good. Alhamdulillah. So, uh, you know, last time we were together at Ghaidar, we were with uh, Maltasim, and there was certainly a big void. You know, we were missing somebody, and and uh, we're glad to have him on today. But although Maltasim is not with us today because he's gone off and done his solo gig. So uh, it's he's okay. Not you know, you know, my fan can fill the void of all of us. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, totally, totally. I mean, so not that I listen to a lot of pop music, uh, but I was going to say, <laughs> I love your reference that um, our front man is gone, obviously, or six foot ten front man <laughs> he said he'll be back he said he'll be back but uh you know we'll see we'll see you know all those solo artists they always come back to the band at some point so yeah so who's the, who's the bass player <laughs> i don't know but i feel like you know there's always a beyonce in the group that steps out and does their own thing right so i'm not making any uh comparisons i'm not into pop music but uh um you know alhamdulillah, you know i think you know obviously we're all going through a very um trying time and I think, you know, it's an important opportunity uh, for a lot of people to be retrospective uh, about their faith, uh, about their the world they live in. You know, I think one of the things that just has caught my attention a little bit is maybe to the, a certain extent of the way in which as a community we're, you know, growing up, you know. So, you know, when we talk about our ability to coalesce around an issue or our ability to drive a political conversation of our empowerment. I think that's a huge positive. That being said, obviously it comes at a huge human cost. But, you know, in this time that we live in, I do think we're at a opportune moment to really see ourselves in a different light than maybe we thought we could. And so, you know, that level of independence and freedom of thought and seeing others in a coalition, not just made of Muslims, uh, supporting some of these issues is an important uh, kind of stepping stone as we kind of mature as a community. Well, yeah, I don't know if that was really the answer you're looking for. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, you just uh, delved into. I guess it's uh, you. You kind of went front and center without any, uh, you know, appetizers, so to speak. But but, but yeah, I, I share that with you, Subhanallah, and, and and even reflecting like Ummah wise or um, you know reflecting internally our collective group. You know, I uh, think about it in different terms at times, and I'm like, what happens now? What happens nowadays is extremely painful. But yet, for those who believe, for the moments, is extremely also, um, you know, showing uh, signs of glad tiding. Um, and uh, and and what I mean by this is that it, everything that happens in our lives uh, as you know believers should increase us in iman. And uh, at the same time, for those who are doubters, it increases them in their doubt. And this is exactly why. In these times of great fitna and great calamity, you know, for a group of people in the ummah or or otherwise, this is when fitna becomes very much uh, susceptible to those who are with with uh, you know weak iman. But then, if we are connected to you know uh, to Allah through His Quran, through His Prophet to really try, like, connect it beyond the superficial, mundane, kind of everyday Muslim uh, practice. When we understand the sunan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we understand the ahwal of the anbiya, of how uh, things have manifested around them, then you get to develop this uh, weird serenity, and in, in a sense, you know, that, you know, that this is, you know, all these calamities are happening, but you see the tadbir of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then these uh, events that are happening will increase your iman and the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we need to understand, now, what is it now, six weeks in, we need to understand that we cannot look at our dunya scale of time. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does tell us all the time, you know, even in, even including the Rasul, you know, like when, in the uh, uh, in the ayah, حتى يقول الرسول الذين آمنوا معه متى نصر الله that until like calamities will evolve and amass until the prophet and those who believe with him say when is the uh, you know victory of Allah and then Allah says verily the victory of Allah is close but but there's a difference here that the people that the ulama say like you know, the the measure of time is with uh, uh, with the prophet and those who believe are when is it and but then the measure of time in his mizan subhanahu wa ta'ala is different you know so th this is why we need to understand that this time needs to happen and it's probably a, a glad tidings because you know the the painful stage before a birth of something really beautiful will happen now inshallah but the most important thing i guess on on the layman is to you know, just try not to fall into the area of doubt, of despair, uh, because all of that is introductions to a huge hope. And all of that, alhamdulillah, is going to be, inshallah, a, a gateway to change. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, it was interesting. Both both of you guys sort of touched on um, shukr um, and thanks, being thankful. Um, and I think that's sort of a difficult to sort of uh, reconcile talking about gratitude, um, especially seeing such... Uh, such horrible things that we're seeing, right? You know, obviously, you know, this is like Thanksgiving weekend we're recording this, so that's that's sort of a, I guess, apropos to uh, the discussion here. But yeah, I mean, I'd like to hear a little bit more about what some of your thoughts are about in terms of how gratitude, how how can one be grateful 
seeing something so horrible. SubhanAllah. I was just thinking about this. Um, uh, I don't give khutbas anymore, but I was in a situation where <laughs> I came like two minutes late and uh, there's no khatib and, you know, they asked. And so I was in a situation where I had to do that. And one of the things that comes to mind is, you know, Ibn Qayyim has a text, Al-Udat, Sabirin, Shaykhirin. And it's an interesting text. And, you know, I recommend folks look into it from a psychological perspective. So I think a lot of times when we talk about spirituality and we talk about practices that we, we do, and I definitely want to touch on a practice that can maybe help our listeners and ourselves. But one of the things that we don't think about spirituality is that it's really psychology. Like that's what this is. That's what the Prophet Quran that he was also sent along with the book and the signs is to purify the population around him, the community around him. And one of the things about a community, and I think it's important when you look at big picture gratitude and small picture issues, and then by no means is it dismissing the immensity of the tragedy that's happening. No means is it dismissing the 12,000 plus individuals who have lost their souls in this temporal life, and may Allah give them the highest uh, for those al-ala. But one of the challenges that can happen is that when we look at our history, our historical uh, community, the historicity that we have, and I'm awful, and I was just reading about the Crusades, a period of time in this same land where the occupation lasted hundreds of years. Hundreds of years was an occupation. And oftentimes we don't think about that. We think there was this like sudden response, the Ummah galvanized and was able to deal with the situation. And that was not so. And the political dynamics of that community were also very divided with different interests, invested interests, and so forth. And it might surprise people to realize that even after Abayt al-Maqdas is liberated, after that situation, there's also, when you look at the policies of the Ayyubids, the Salahuddin Ayyubids dynasty, they still had relationships and you know commercial contracts with Crusader kingdoms. And so the point is really, when we think about the big picture, is all of us, and I tell people this, it's difficult when we see these tragedies to see the Qadr of Allah very difficult when you see images and you're scrolling through these situations but yet when we look at our history when we look at our the promise of our future we're very open to seeing the qadr of Allah and even if we look at our own life trajectories you know where we are in life the positions we have the opportunities that were given to us then we definitely see the qadr of Allah right we see that and we believe that and so likewise when people are faced with this theodicy of evil and why this is happening all these types of things suddenly they throw all of that away and that's the beauty of islam when you look at what our brothers and sisters are going through in many ways the recorded responses alhamdulillah wa shukrullah you know this is the mashia of allah this is literally what we're seeing is this submission to the will of allah and what you and i in the first world or you and i in the safety of our homes need to be asking you really need to be thinking about is not simply just the prayers that we should be having for these individuals, but what are we doing within ourselves to really prepare for that next level of our life? You know, this is all temporal. This is, but when we look at our own qadr, it should really cause us to really re like reflect upon this. And I would just say, you know, and I, you know, I don't want to go off topic, but in the Prophet Sallallahu has a beautiful hadith where a man comes to him and says, I love you by Allah. And he says it three times and the Prophet lowers his head in silence. And then he says, if that's true, and I'm paraphrasing, 
then know that hardships come quicker to the person who loves me than the flood will rush to its goal. So you and I live in this relative com- in this comfort, probably never known to other human human civilizations in our own Islamic societies, except for the select few. All right, and now in that comfort, what are we doing? You know, how are we leveraging ourselves? How we see ourselves? How are we putting that hope into action? And how are we giving a big picture viewpoint to our our community? And so I think sabr is not simply just to be a himar and just take it. You know, oh, there's a, there's another day. No, it's like the long view. It's the big picture. It's seeing that victory that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises in Surah Fat. When Surah Fat and that revelation came, which is an amazing, the story behind it, it was the true, it was the treaty of Hudaybiyah. No one in there, there was no military victory, but the Fat was talking about the eventual victory that would come. But the Muslims couldn't see it. And they all doubted. Yeah, all these severe, all, all these, you know, very much like close companions doubted what the Prophet was doing. How could you capitulate? How could you agree? How could you have this? But what did they do with that time? They spread the message so vast that when that victory came, when that victory came, it was with relative, you know, no like blood loss because there was such an overwhelming, you know, uh, you know, sense of the community has come. And because of that, that dynamic is so interesting. And when you look at that surah in Juz Amma, but what does it ask of the Muslims to do after they've done this and seen this situation unfold before their eyes within the within the you know within the, those years, and ask them to ask for forgiveness, right? And so, what is it that you're doing here when you see your brothers and sisters suffering all around the world in Philistine, but obviously in many other places? Where are, when are we going to take the Quranic messages? Have not has not the time come? To remember Allah, or you know, Allah doesn't change the condition of a people which you change within yourselves. When are you going to be accountable for what you can do? It's great to go to rallies. Just that I was, you know, you know, this happens. You know, people. I live in the DC area, so plenty of opportunities to do that. It's great to be in the political spectrum and lobby your congressman, and you know, people making stronger stance, people risking their careers, right? But at the same time, spiritually speaking, when are we going to be on this point of view? That we, this is not just a political crisis. This is not just a human crisis. This is a spiritual crisis for our community and how we respond individually. Yeah, I mean, follow, especially when we look about this, I mean, I, I'm thinking like, well, I'm broken. How can all this be? Is this all true? Uh, is this all worth it? You know, sometimes all these like shaitani kind of uh, doubts come to your mind and a slew of other doubts and questions. But then I look at those who are in the middle of it in Gaza, and I'm seeing this amazing experiential tawheed, uh, as Sheikh Mukhtar mentions. You know, yeah, like you said, you know, gratitude comes from a place that is truly, you know, born out of this sense of indebtedness to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that we are just ibad, awalan wa akhiran. Like in the beginning. We are just, like, he, he does what he pleases. Just like that Palestinian man said, you know, he, he does with us subhanahu wa ta'ala what, what he wills. And we are thankful, we are patient. So when you look to see that embodiment of faith in them, they, and if they got it, then I must get it. You know, I, I have to get it if I'm Muslim. You know, people of Allah lead you to uh, Allah if your receptacles are broken. You know, uh, if your receptacles are not broken, sorry, 
like beings witnessing like we are witnessing like entire two billion people are witnessing these people uh, even non-muslims are turning to islam because of this people of allah lead you to allah if your receptacles are not broken and since the beginning of time we're all like we're proud to be a muslim we're proud to be like our identity this and that okay great you've been proud to be a muslim ever since you, bo- you were born all right now the time has come for you to start acting upon that you know like even for those who are saying it externally now it's time to internalize it now it's time to you know like you said you know you know push yourself internally to be beyond the point of despair and it's hard you know push yourself to to stand up you know be rijal you know that goes for men and women uh you know islam will be proud of us you know so to speak in terms of metaphorically this is the time to do that energy had this is time to do uh, the boycotting this is time to give out of your money and your time to go out there and, and do whatever avenues of activism that will come only after you realize this but if you are left your devices of activism outside of that kind of realm then you will fall to despair and doubt and you will at the end at least give up and sit, sit aside so i don't know i mean this is a weird fall to me <laughs> This is a weird, weird season. You know, uh, uh, we we have a lot of leaves still on the trees, but we see a lot of, you know, people falling, you know, and uh, not falling. I'm not talking about Gaza. I'm talking about the collective consciousness of the world. You know, people who we were enamored by, or at least we thought they were allies. We thought that there is some humanity in, out there in the world. We see all that falling just like, the you know dead uh, tree leaves so uh, so alhamdulillah for a better clarity alhamdulillah for uh, you know seeing uh, all of this amazing uh, you know faith through the worst of display of inhumanity of the world and of those who are perpetuating this kind of violence and oppression but uh, this is what we say you know, I think, um, you know, I wanted to mention, you know, something I was, you know, we we're coming across on Monday, uh, you know, on Fridays, we take a practice of sending prayers upon the Prophet Sallallahu as he instructed us to. And obviously all of us know the Quranic mandate to do so. And we think about the fact that Allah and the angels do something like sending prayers upon the Prophet Sallallahu which is mentioned. But there's a, a beautiful hadith. And I wanted to mention this and I was reading this with somebody and it's reported by Imam, As- Imam Nasa'i in his Aliyum, and uh, it's, it's, the, it's a chapter on the work, basically, of the day and walayla and the night. And when I read it with him, I didn't read it like this before. And what it says is that the Prophet وسلم, he said, min ummati, that when a person from my ummah, and that's the first thing that we all should be grateful for, to be part of the ummah of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu I mean, it's a celebration to really be a part of this. You know, when we think about like, you know, a lot of times in our lives or maybe we have associations with teams and things like that. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but let's just say like, for example, your team gets that lottery pick. You know, we're all lottery picks to be a part of this team of the Ummah Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But what he says is that you do the prayer upon him. But it's muqlasina, it's muqlas, it's a, it's a very sincere prayer. And it comes from where? Min qalb. It comes from the qalb. And then the Prophet says, the one who offers this prayer from my ummah, 
um, for me, uh, and he sincerely does it from his heart, Allah will then offer 10 salahs for them and will raise them 10 degrees and write for them 10 deeds and cancel them 10 sins. And many of us have heard this hadith in many different narrations in different ways. But, you know, Imam al-Shawqani has a beautiful collection based on this uh, uh, concept of encouraging people to send prayers upon the Prophet And so one of the things that's interesting in that Imam Tirmidhi has a, another tradition where he mentions, like, what's the outcome? Because, you know, people say, well, I want to be lifted 10 degrees. I mean, all of that seems very abstract to us in this life. But there's a very temporal benefit that I think in this time that many of our listeners, many of ourselves should really be thinking about. And that is simply the Prophet saying, then your worries, they will be removed and your sin will be forgiven. Your worries will be removed. I think in these times of anxiety and we see this rise of communal fear that's gripping people um, and we see our leaders in some cases, our politicians, uh, local politicians even, our local advocacy groups being censored or being prohibited from exhibiting free speech, and we see the blatant hypocrisy when that's applied in other dynamics, then I think it's an important point here that we have to put that energy somewhere. And the Prophet is the perfect place to put that energy, to put our minds at ease, to have a sense of balance. Like he used to make a dua, Ibn Taymiyyah mentions it in his Qalam al Ibn also Imam al-Sayyuti also mentions it in the book of, of, uh, of supplications, Allahumma sadadani, you know, I pray for balance. And what I'm afraid of is that as this month has, you know, lingered and as this tragedy unfolds, and may we ask Allah to, you know, to quicken relief for our brothers and our sisters and for everyone, to be fair, let's just be real. You know, there's this kind of partitioning that's happening, but just on a, on a Muslim standing on principle, that even if you say the truth, even is bitter, that we just have to be very honest that like there are challenges with certain people's behavior within our community and their responses. And that equally has to be understood. And I think, you know, we see this rise of problematic statements, whether they're in a Marxist garb that is supporting a cause, but yet devoid of Allah in that vision. Or if they're obviously uh, some sort of um, sentiment that's not a part of feeling part of this ummah of the Prophet and that's why we ache because we're part of this ummah. So you know, I just think that it's important for us to really think about balancing our lives. If you're someone and you're watching all of this content and you're scrolling all day and all night, and yet how much of time and throughout that day are you spending in praying for your brothers and sisters? I asked someone this question and then, you know, he agreed that it wasn't healthy to consume all this content. And you say, no, brother, you're telling people not to know what's happening. No, I'm not saying that. You should know what's happening. But you have a choice of what you're consuming and what those images will do to your mind. More importantly, what it does to yourself and then the people around you. I just don't think people are understanding that concept, you know, as much as they should because it can breed a certain level of fear that may be not, really, not in real reality, right? It can also cause us to feel paralysis and, and as you mentioned, despair. And despair is from Sean. I totally agree with you. You have to sort of find your way to cut down on just consuming, consuming, and, and spending time in doing um, you know, ibadah and remembering 
those 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 things which you're discussing. But it's also, I think, also a frame of mind of when you're consuming the content itself. You don't have to compartmentalize this information you're getting from whatever you're seeing and like put that in one basket and then mean that like the other part of you um, can't also remember Allah, remember the Prophet Sallallahu be able to process it with that lens as well, right? If you close that lens, then you're just consuming this information and some of it is just horrible, right? And so what's going to happen to the soul, right? You have to be able to integrate it with, you know, the, the faculty of your heart to be able to, number one, process it appropriately, but also be able to deal with, you're not going to be able, I mean, this is, I think, what we're seeing. You're, you're seeing a lot of, of just trauma by witnessing this, this horrific thing we're seeing, right? And that's like, that's a function of, of how like our hearts are. I mean, like our hearts have to be prepared to be able to accept or to be able to process this and to be able to respond appropriately. Yeah, well, you know, my, my thought, Salim, before you jumped in was that, you know, nothing just starts from this day of calamity. You know, like, I guess what I was trying to respond to our fan, just like we say to those who are just realizing that, uh, you know, in, in Palestine, things did not start off on October 7. It's been 75 years of oppression and, and apartheid and all, all, all sorts of horrible realities that have been taking, uh, you know, place and people just woke up on October 7th. Same thing goes internally here. If I am your average Ahmed sitting and consuming Netflix and this and that, my uh, and 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 going after the next thing and buying the next thing, and we have this kind of trend of practice, you know, personally on things. When a calamity happens, I still have a lot of khair in me, but my habits are still my habits. So basically, Netflix is gone, HBO is gone, my consumerism is still there. You know, and now I'm consuming something different. Al Jazeera, uh, you know, this and that, uh, all sorts of, uh, you know, Instagram uh, videos, the horrible, you know, videos that are coming out. I am not uh, equipped with the uh, wisdom of the scholars when they said, do not, you know, watch these things, you know, because they have a direct, even on the practicing, they have a direct impact. There is a certain thing that you should watch. There is a certain thing that you should know. Uh, the knowledge of the case, the knowledge of the uh, you know political reality, is incumbent on the layman just in terms of knowing the generals. But to delve inside, that's consumerism. That's happening from before, and that's continuing as we move forward. And uh, Subhanallah, uh, you know that to me requires a lot of preparation from before. And I have a little bit of, uh, you know, also thinking about the communal side of it, but I'll, I'll leave it to another five, seven minutes when we maybe talk about that, you know, uh, after that. But at least on the individual side, you know, I'm a consumer. You know, I this is my mentality and living in Western world and maybe even uh, in the Middle East, like everybody is turned into this, you know, blob of consumerism that's happening, you know, one way or another. And now it's just being replaced by all this trauma and my heart, my mind is not equipped to respond to this. I mean, that's the danger. I mean, that's a really good point there because, like, the danger also is okay. So, for what this has become our consumption, right? What value are you getting out of this consumption? Is it just as devoid of value as, as you were saying, like the previous media, Netflix, whatever we, whatever people are watching? If we're, we're just consuming this something which. By witnessing this, and you guys were talking about witnessing before, 
I mean, we are witnessing and seeing these calamities. I mean, this is a witnessing of the the the, the jalal of Allah, right? In in, in terms of t- tribulation, right? You're seeing how uh, you and we're seeing this with the Palestinians and how they're reacting in this amazing way, right? And this is what's drawing people to them. That seeing how they are witnessing these acts of Allah on them, that um, is bringing them so close to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, right? Now, if we're consuming these images and these articles and everything, but we're not getting a similar um, witnessing of the same level. I'm obviously we're not going to witness in the same level they are because they are in, in the midst of it, right? But if there's if there's no value. We're not seeing if this is not bringing us to a different realization of our relationship with Allah, then there's a problem. Yeah, the same event, the same event can you know bring you closer or bring you or take you further. You know, I mean, uh, there's a lot of folks are saying, "Where's Allah in all this?" You know, "Where's His protection? Where's His victory?" That you know, all of these doubts and things can can definitely take place because it it the the person is. When this befell us all as an ummah, you know, let alone the particular, uh, you know, Ghazawi people, you know, everybody was at a certain point of the spectrum, you know, and and everybody will interpret, you know, um, the light in a di- in in their own prism. Yeah, I wanted to share like a maybe a personal reflection. You know, I do think you know, like you mentioned, you know, there's this tendency in some of these. Um, Big, big clicks. Uh, you know these type of the dynamics that are set up online, where you know you're seeing millions of views on a pro-Palestinian stance and millions of views also on the on the Israeli stance, right? So just not to get too into it, but I think what the challenge is that like these producers who make this content, and I'm not targeting anyone, but they do it for clicks. But our brothers and sisters are they're trying to live their lives. They're trying to survive, and I think as individuals we also have a as you mentioned as consumers to be very mindful that we're not being manipulated by some of these content creators by some of these videos and news organizations we all know that the shroud is you know lifted in many ways and we see the kind of manipulation that can happen on both sides i'm gonna be fair let's just see on both sides but we also see that this is you know the the power dynamic is obviously unfair but i would just want to say something you know, my sheikh for more than 20 years of my life, he passed away this past year. And, you know, he was from Philistine, from a small village near Safed. It was known as Majdal. And, you know, he was 15 years old during the Nakba. So when the Nakba happened, you know, he was a, um, an, like a, a young man at that point. And his family was forced to flee and they had to flee to first Lebanon and then from there to uh, to Syria. And so, you know, I remember talking to him at this point, maybe 15 years ago. And yeah, that time there was something else in the news about Gaza, something else in the news about Hamas, something else in the news about the issues and the challenges and the historicity. And one of the things that he highlighted, which I thought really kind of opened my mind and what I see on full display today. And we talked about the horrors of Dir Yassin, the village that was, you know, violently eradicated to be you know to be blunt so when top people talk about genocide and eradication and ethnic cleansing like Dir Yassin sent shockwaves through the community at that time and farm farming villages you know and, and those smaller villages outside major cities you know like his own they decided to leave 
And one of the things he, you know, he mentioned was that the fear was so palatable. But as much as I've been, as I heard from him, and he was open about talking about some of these things that he saw and some of the things he experienced, and you know, they make your heart break. But at the same time, I never heard anything that would remotely resemble anti-Semitism, that would remotely resemble any type of hatred. You know, out of the times of my life where I was dragged to do interfaith work and go to a synagogue or a church, it was mostly with him. And he had friends who were rabbis, friends in that community. And I never heard anything. And so I asked him about that. And he said, you know, he looked at me like I, I was, he was puzzled. And because, you know, where the question was coming from, because I think in, in many ways, when he responded to me and the way he reacted, I felt so immature, so, you know, so young and almost silly. Because at that time, it was an issue happening in the West Bank in the city of Janine, which many of you guys remember. And so, you know, he, what he told me was that, like, you know, we're at this and we were literally walking up a stairwell. And he said, the Ummah's here. But we want to go there to the top, but we don't want to walk the steps. We don't want to do the the, the darajat. We don't we don't we don't want to do that work. We want to go right to the top. And this is where I feel that there's a lot of romanticism that I hear in the community that's not really historically accurate about the past, and a lot of fallacy about what's going to happen in the future and this type of you know prophetic uh, discussions. And we can talk about the end of time signs and all of these things and how important the city of Jerusalem is. But one of the things I teach a group of high school kids. And they're all very aware of the history, 1948, all of it. They can talk to you about what happened in the 20s, you know, the beginning of Zionism, how it's from a, uh, a Christian construct really in Britain and how it kind of came into Judaism and what happened there. And we were having these type of historical conversations. But when I asked them, why is Palestine, why is that land holy to us as Muslims? It was silent. And these kids are people who their pen game is amazing, their articulation is amazing, you know. And yet it was complete silence. And maybe you had one or two who knew about Isra Miraj, but then beyond that, none. And Sayyidah Alawi al-Maliki, one of the Rahmatali, who one of the great scholars of the last you know quarter century, he has a text, a very small text. And I remember many years ago having gone through that text, and it's just it starts with ten ayat. 10 ayat that focus on why the broader area, but particularly, you know, the city of Jerusalem is holy to Muslims. These are references in the Quran. And I'm not sure that our Muslim community is aware of this. And it oftentimes feel that we operate when we talk about these things in these religious constructs, because the other sides, they're talking about it from their own, their own religious, you know, paradigm. They'll cite Genesis, they'll cite this let alone the fact that they don't want to acknowledge that, for the most part, Zionism, and that's not anti-Semitic, but Zionism is a modern construct. You're not going to find someone of the, or the early church fathers even talking about it, ever. It wasn't something that they even understood to be what is being you know, applied to that meaning today. And you know, in, even in, this, in, in, the, in the actual Jewish community, uh, you know, I live in a community and I do interfaith work. There's a lot of peace activists that are coming from the Jewish community. It has to be fully acknowledged how organized and how amazing some of the things that they've done. But the rabbis in that community, other people who are in that community, in, in other parts of the community, they would tell you that you know, before 1967, this wasn't an, an, an accepted idea within you know, much of world Jewry. And so part of the idea is that 
in and I agree that this you know with many people this religion this 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 is not necessarily a, simply a religious conflict. I understand the the human cause. I understand the historical injustice. But if you're a Muslim and you're going to be talking about this, you should be educated about the Islamic viewpoint, and you should educate yourself why this place is holy to us. You know, and I just think people forget. You know, there's only three meshajid, and I'm not trying to get controversial with the, uh, you know, like a medieval Ibn Taymiyyah take, but I'm saying there's only three meshajid that the Prophet talked about visiting. And one of them is Beit al-Maqdis. And most of us know, and unfortunately many of the young people may not know, the first place that we prayed towards was the city of Jerusalem. And what makes another fun fact that people may not know, if you were to take the Kaaba, the actual Kaaba by its dimensions, and you would look at those dimensions, it would actually fit into the Dome of the Rock. Isn't that crazy? I didn't know that till I was talking to a professor. He showed me an old map. We went through all this. This is an architecture class and this early 2000s, so I'm going to date myself. But it literally fits into the Dome of the Rock. I mean, there is an amazing history here about early Islamic civilization, right? The Dome of the Rock is the earliest Islamic monument built by the Umayyads because they didn't have control over the Hijaz. Abdul Ibn Zubair, after the death of Al-Hussein, had conquered that area. Right, I mean, it's historical, but it's just really interesting that we don't know so much about our own history, yet we can go on and on and on and on and on about 1948. Yeah, um, subhanAllah, uh, this is, uh, you know, the historical part and the, you know, um, the holiness, uh, you know, part in terms of our connection as an ummah to, to Quds, Palestine, Bilad al-Sham is all, you know, of course, very essential in terms of conceptualizing, you know, the current, you know, reality. At the same time, I, I think about um, the ways upon which we, you know, deal with things, you know, like when, when you see even some of the learned ones, some of the, uh, you know, folks who are trying to, uh, you know, justify certain things in their minds or to process certain things, outside of the maqasa the shura or outside of the you know, that to me is also you know the the path through which we walk uh to interpret uh history or interpret reality now or where we're going that has to you know basically be always you know matbut by the shura you know it has to be always constrained and following and that cannot be expected of everybody out there but at least of those who are trying to profess solutions uh, and trying to guide us through, uh, you know, th- there's a huge responsibility. I, I, I don't envy, uh, you know, our imams. I don't envy our thinkers, our teachers. It's a lot to process. It's a lot to, you know, uh, you know, to uh, to kind of put, um, you know, a plan for. You know, for instance, uh, you know, the universal calamities like this one. They do not obscure or change the the usul of of the maqasid shari of what should be done. That needs to be always a non emotional conversation that needs to be uh, there. Uh, and alhamdulillah, we went through enough emotional khutbas, but now we have to have time to you know to address this or to plan according to this. And the same thing. We are also, you look at the Muslim Ummah, especially for me, I keep looking at the, uh, you know, I look at the Middle East and you see like people who use the Sultan of the Shara, you know, like they use the power of 
uh, you know, fiqh or uh, their positions to without a particular basis. And this is upon my reading of, of those who, who are following this. They use it either to charge or uh, either to put people down and not have them engage or to uh, like what we heard of, uh, you know, uh, Sudeis and all these other folks. Of, 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 and then what we also, um, you know, hear of the others who are, are like really trying to entice people without proper, uh, w- without proper, uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess situating of their of their realities and, and and what they can do, and that you know some of the ulama said that that this is a huge gateway of fitna, uh, and then really uh, at the end of the day, our brotherhood uh, should be. Our sisterhood, our, our looking after each other should be very much uh, centralized. Uh, and also the last thing I want to say is also the, and this is what I wanted to bring about our you know, Western Muslim community. We have to look where this is all coming from, how we engage with others. And maybe it could be like another five minutes that I, I don't want to just keep talking, but uh, I was attending uh, you know, uh, a workshop recently and uh, we were talking about heart work, heart work, which is uh, you know you know another form of teskia, another, and uh, enhancing our awareness of the realities of anti-blackness, you know, out there in the world, not racism, anti-blackness, and that's aimed to dehumanize folks uh, from the African American community, and that was um, you know a pathway or a, a, you know. Uh, the the basis upon which all these Jim Crow and the Tulsa massacre and all these previous things that happened beforehand, uh, that was a way to keep power away from the indigenous and those who are, uh, you know, uh, not showing uh, the same skin complexities. But it was a power grab. And the idea here is that we need to be aware of this because other folks like, uh, you know, when we look at Zionism, when we look at, the, you know, the major ailments that are happening in the world, they have nothing to do with Judaism, just like, you know, white supremacy has nothing to do with, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, with Christianity. But at the same time, you look at the professing of major political figures, they say, you know, that this is a continuation of our dream. We see them as migrant, just like they. Like, it was a, a book, I think, by Hillary Clinton, and uh, she mentioned uh, in, in her book, I think, r- around the 2016 election. I don't know if she came with the book 2014 or 15, and she was saying, we see in Israel the same way uh, as we see ourselves when we were pilgrims, when we came to the USA, you know, uh, to, 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 the, to this land. And that's how we support them, and that's how it's a mandate upon us to support them, or whatever that quote was. And to me, it's really important to you know kind of bring this about because if I can just you know drive this home, there was a lot of uh, folks who were you know uh, in the African American community who were you know seeing this happening with with the anti blackness, and then Malcolm Ali Rahmatullah when he went to Hajj. He saw whites, but he did not see them regarding themselves as white, quote unquote. He mentioned that in his um, in, in his writings, and the reason he said is because they were uh, uh, they were truly worshiping the one, 
and that's how they didn't worship themselves or like i'm saying here myself that that's how he didn't they didn't worship themselves so they he saw he saw uh you know the people who again i, I can use this word who manifested experiential tawhid in the oneness of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's how they uh, and that's how he saw uh, that america could be really benefiting from islam to eradicate these things but but what i'm trying to say now coming to us we in the west as muslims have been enamored by this model you know of like oh yeah this is really what's happening this is how we should and and we unfortunately have some of those ailments in us you know we have anti-blackness in our muslim communities we have certain you know ailments that need to be addressed of that nature we need to be able to equip ourselves with a better way to purify and do the heart work the, not the hard work it's a hard work and the heart's work uh, to to become at a better you know stage collectively so that we are able to mobilize so that we are able to add more meaning and more effectiveness because this is what's happening zionism is dehumanizing palestinians and the rest of the world is dehumanizing palestinians the same way that the folks here have been dehumanized of the african-american community and until we recognize this whole system and dismantle it in our hearts and in our masajid and in our communities we are then able to you know give better i don't know if that makes sense but uh no i think it ties yeah no i think it ties i think it yeah i mean uh, this is what i meant you know it's not just individual work that we need to do we need to understand the norms around us and we need to elevate that into a community understanding and then after that you know we can put plans on how we can be better instruments to aid you know the deen of allah and aid the people of allah uh, and and it's just a wake-up call right like you know they they tell you like you know uh, one of the uh, shiuch uh, in the middle east was saying if these past few weeks have not woken you up, then the next time you will wake up is going to be in your grave. That's like uh, Sayyidina Ali said, you know, like he said, yeah. the people are asleep. Uh, you know, yeah, 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 when, that, when is that? That's when you're barzakh, right there. Yeah, exactly. And so, I think, so what I was going to say, just real quick, is that I think you're right. I think there's this, you know, we have to understand that we have a history. I think Muslims are children of colonialism, Amish out of colonialism. We get this, you know, there's this history there. And it's amazing to me. I, you know, like my, you know, my daughter came from school and they were talking about it. And I was like, oh, they're talking about it. I was like, what, like, what did they say? They said that, oh, it's part of colonialism. I think that shows like how the conversation has diametrically shifted in this country. That was not happening in the 90s and the 200, early 2000s for sure. But I wanted to just touch on one of the things you mentioned, Siddiq Laidar, that was just amazing, you know, the idea of heart work and tying that to what we were speaking about earlier when we were talking about sort of the fat and then in Joe's Amma, sort of the nas, where Allah says the help has come, right? That essentially, you were able to do this. Now you have to ask for forgiveness, right? And it's interesting. If you look at the architecture of our spiritual masters, Al Ghazali, for example, or Ibn Qudama in his uh, in his like Muqtasar Ibn Hajj Qasidin. And then, you know, when you look at the Ehya, for example, the, the architecture is amazing. So there's foundations that they rest upon. And I think they're all important in this moment, but every moment of our lives as believers. So first we touched upon the repentance, right? This idea there. But there's also the idea that you need patience to stay away from sin. 
you need patience to not go extreme. You need patience not to, you know, have your viewpoints and your worldview be shifted by an algorithm. You need patience. You need to have that. And so that repentance is a remedy, really, and a way to really break free from the habits that may confine us, but also the, the mentalities, like you mentioned, these mental shackles, these heart shackles upon us that we have these uh, issues of whether it's uh, you know anti-blackness, whether it's Zionism, whether it's racism, whether it's anti-Semitism, whether it's whatever it is, right? There's all of these issues that we have to be mindful of and be aware of. But then what's interesting is that Imam Ghazali in Ibn Khatana, right after that comes the chapter of Sabr and Shukr, that you need patience, and you also need thankfulness. So after repentance, patience and thankfulness, and then there's the hope and the fear. Al-Raja al-Khawf. You need to have that balance, as Ibn Qayyim mentioned, they're two wings of the same bird. So as an individual, you know, you have to understand the uh, the intensity by which you need to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also the intensity by which you need to hope in Allah. And I see sometimes in me that intensity is lacking when it comes to the hope side. And so we want to be mindful of that but then they don't just leave you there these amazing architects of the spiritual path they they tell you in the next found 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 the like the next foundation is asceticism now modern day you know today to be a modern day ascetic means maybe you don't uh consume your hours on your phone and that's a good maybe way to be an ascetic a true zahid has less than four hours a day on their cell phone usage or something like that screen time but then what I find interesting is that right after you've gone through that practice of these ascetic behaviors, then there comes divine faith and God reliance. And I think that's where people are falling short. And then it goes on to longing and intimacy and things like that, the intention and sincerity, self-reckoning and being vigilant on yourself and the remembrance of the afterlife and things like that. But what's interesting is that when you look at what it takes to get to a point where you as a Muslim, as a practicing Muslim, can get to the point of having faith in Allah, really this experiential tawheed that you mentioned from Sheikh Muhtar, it takes going through some of these steps from patience, um, sorry, from like repentance to patience and gratitude and onward. And so we have to be really mindful that we are talking to each other as brothers, that we're talking to each other as sisters and putting ourselves in these positions. Well, because what I find, unfortunately, is that, you know, we have to have a challenge where many of us are at different levels of faith, for sure. And many of us come from different backgrounds and education. And there's a susceptibility to just having groupthink and not being critical and not analyzing where our history comes from, where our thoughts are coming from, and where those currents are. And if there's a misguidance there, and we've seen this how this is how innovation spreads, you know, then you have to be able to be able to challenge some of these things. And I think we have to be very mindful in this critical moment and really thankful to Allah for some of the blessings in this tragedy that have unfolded for us and really be mindful of what we need to do in just praying for our brothers and sisters for sure. But as you mentioned, all of the other things that go along with that, being self-reflective, changing our heart, changing our state, being active in politics, being active in our local communities, being present, being just visible. You know, we had a... Yeah. But you just realize that this this whole thing is overwhelming. Like when we talk about this, like if anybody's listening to us right now, I'd be like, yeah, right. This is crazy. You know, like seriously, like I'm just being real. You know, like in the, all the really, like, you know, this is like the ultimate, like, I don't know, you know, uh, when is Mario going to get to the princess? You know, <laughs> so, so I'm saying like, you know, 
like you fall into these different two modes, right? Like when you're pressed in time and 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 pressed in calamity, you're like, what do I do? Like either you go into uber activism and like just let's go everybody and let's have a, uh, you know alliance with anybody and let's do this yalla 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 haraka haraka. I need haraka here, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, on yeah. the other hand, like you mentioned, zuhd, people take a different angle at zuhd at times. I'm just gonna cave in. I'm just gonna go into my uh, musalla. And I'm just gonna pray. And I'm just gonna, uh, you know, stay there. So everybody on that spectrum that you just mentioned, which is beautiful, have their own susceptibility to, you know, kind of get lost in that one turn, in that mm. one exit. And that to me is very dangerous. And that to me needs like constant mentoring, constant. And I, I admit to you, we don't have that here in the West many times. You know, I mean, it's the bliss, right? This is the devil's deception, yeah. right? So the disease yeah, of the religious people is their self-righteousness. But at the same time, the disease of the activist sometimes is that he ignores while he's fighting for the cause that he's fighting for the wrongs of the world, the wrongs within himself. So that's where it comes right. back to what we we're talking about. Allahumma sadadani, the balance. Allahumma sadadani, yes, yeah. You have to have one foot on the field and one foot, you know, upon your own ego, you know, literally, you know. So, That's how you should keep it. Of course, I always, I, I always kind of get lost in the analysis, right? Like analysis brass. So uh, I was, so the the anti blackness heart work um, was a workshop I attended with Ustad Rukayat uh, Yaqub. She is the wife of Sheikh Mendez. So, mashallah, beautiful personality, a huge amount of knowledge, and very, very, uh, you know. Uh, you know, very engaging with, with the crowd that, we, that we, when we had her. And, and you know, I was like, okay. So she went into the analysis and I was like, at the end, I got a little bit impatient, you know, as I am at times. And I'm like, so can you tell us, uh, you know, what, what we can do? And, you know, what are the things, you know, of course she did mention them later on and she kind of, but, but when she kind of, you know, when we were off on a tangent for something, she said like two things recognizing that anything that is said or professed out there when you see the news, when you see people talking, anything that is said or professed that seems to degrade any group of people is not from our deen or degrade any process through which we heal is not from our deen. And when you recognize that, you know, you cannot basically adapt it. And then the second thing, which you you mentioned, Arfan, you know, we tend to be bystanders. Uh, bystanders and and bystanders, we tend to see that faith, uh, you know, uh, is something that we need to work on ourselves. But then we need to understand equally that faith mandates action. And this, to me, I mentioned to her. Well, this is my uh, has been has always been my criticism of uh, a lot of modes of tasawwuf. You know, like just get lost into your tariqah, and then uh, we don't see you, you know, doing a lot of work in the community or out there, and. Maybe that's you know a lack of adab of sorts, but uh, you know at least it has some reality as I see it as a witness. Unless I see otherwise, no, you're right. I mean, let's just be yeah. frank. Let's just be frank. When certain yeah. state structures today, you have organized and by the Sufi, mean uh, spiritual groups of Sufism for right. maybe right. some of the listeners, but those groups are being supported by, paid for by, and then silenced by the state, so they lack any agency. So right. yes, in this history of Tasawwuf, you have people like Amir Abdul Qadir Jazari, right? For example, in Algeria, 
amazing statesman that his enemy even gives him an award, right? Amazing statesman is that there's a town in Illinois named after him. Abraham Lincoln gives him his guns um, and all that stuff, right? It's amazing. Huge. But yeah, he's also this amazing figure who brings literally the thought that had been lost really into Syria of the great Sheikh Ibn Arabi. And so he carries that secret with him. And then he saves other religious communities. But that's an amazing, that person was principled. But that he's he's one example. You have other examples of people who did not then become these belligerent extremist types who then saw others as fodder for their own political points or scapegoated other minorities, or as you mentioned, dehumanize these individuals in these communities and stuff. And so I think you're absolutely right. There is a cherished history of spiritual resistance in Islam, and it needs to come back. Sayyidina Ali, he's this epitome of righteousness. And I want to just give two examples. One of them is a well-known account, and it's in historical accounts in, in our history, but it's also in a spiritual account within the Matnavi of Imam, of like Mawlana Rumi, of, of Mawlana Rumi. So the spiritual account is essentially that Imam Ali is in a battle. And as you all know, they used to j- have these jousting kind of uh, fights before the battle. So the different champions from either side. And he bests this individual, and he's about to kill this individual. And the individual spits in his face. And then he walks away, and the man says, what are you going to do? He goes, had you not done that, I would have killed you for the sake of Allah. But because you spit in my face, I realized that my nuss had come, and if I killed you, it would have been out of my own nuss. Where are those people today on these, you know, in any of these places? And I'm not judging, but I'm just saying, like, there's a certain principle here. You know, when we think about the tragedies of what we see, I always think about the statement of Sayyidina Zainab. That all I saw was beauty. When she was asked by the tyrant of her time, Yazid, what do you think about your your beheaded brother, the head of Satan, the Hussein's in front of her, right? That you're captive. Like, what do you say now about Banu Hashim, the family of the Prophet, that had tried unsuccessfully to rule, you know, with justice within the Muslim community in the early period? Like, what do you say now? And now who's ruling? It's the son of the enemy of the Prophet, right? That's literally, it's the, it's the grandson of the enemy, right? So now they have two in line. And what did she say? She said, all I saw was beauty. And now to understand that state, and I believe our brothers and sisters in Gaza, they have that state, many of them. They're, they're holding their dead children. They're grieving with their, um, their, their, their elderly people who are stuck in these horrible situations in hospitals. We can't imagine what they're going through. But when you see the granddaughter of the Prophet eloquently speak in front of a tyrant over time like that, where are the likes? And that's why it's so encouraging to see the activism. It's so encouraging to see the voices out there. And while you may feel despair, you are changing. As people as old as I can attest, this was not the rhetoric we were used to. There is definitely a kind of democratic approach with social media that is a benefit for sure. All we are, all I am saying, and I would just say that is that we just have to be balanced and make sure for ourselves that we can continue this work. Otherwise, you might find burnout. But an amazing example to really appreciate the magnitude of the tragedy, as you mentioned, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And to say someone just you do this and you just be spiritual or I'm going to be activist, again, it's in the balance. And what you will find about Islam is that it's typically always in the balance. Yeah, to her credit, and this is the last thing I want to mention, Ustada, uh, you know, Ruqayat, she mentioned something really beautiful. So I was like, so what? what is the one thing we can do? Like she said, recognize this, recognize that, as I uh, mentioned. She was like, well, we have to work on the uh, on ourselves to utilize the transformational love of the Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what did you just say? Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, we were talking about like anti-blackness, this and that, colonialism, and this. And then she mentioned something. Subhanallah, she just put me in my. She was like, "We have to work on utilizing, uh, first of all, embodying and utilizing the prophetic love, the transformational love of the prophet." And then she mentioned, you know, that you know he والسلام, interacted with people via transformative love. People changed by his love and treatment to them or of them, uh, and then they changed by their own love of him. They saw this model that was beyond, you know, he, by the way, I'm bringing your attention to his love, because he went through all these calamities. He interacted, he did, and people are like, yeah, I just refer to the sunnah, just like, no, this doesn't work without proper love. And she mentioned that as a one statement, as one pill, so to speak. And that to me was yani, wallahi, very, yani, as much as I am yani, very much in understanding and, 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 and always you know, in my dua to be as close to the Prophet as possible. She mentioned this and it, it like came out of left field because we were like in a different conversation. You know? <laughs> and then she was like, you know, use this, utilize this in your community. And as much as you are collectively and individually connected to him, والسلام, you are able to see better and to equip yourselves better. And, and that to me was like, يعني, and that was a general statement, but there's a lot to delve into. But I just wanted to mention that this was the closing that, you know, at least gave me, you know, a path forward. And it comes back to the Prophet all the time, right? You know, Ibn Qayyim has this amazing saying where he says, there's nothing more beloved to shaitan than a depressed believer. And that's an amazing statement in Tariqah Hijratayna. It's an amazing understanding of like why we cannot be susceptible to these tricks at the same time having hope. And as I mentioned in, that, in, the, in the hadith of the Prophet from Imam Tirmidhi, that just as a spiritual practice, if we all took it upon ourselves to have a litany of prayers upon the Prophet and choose whatever litany or, or, or whatever formula you would like, but if we took it as a practice to do that, and we, in you know, you, the hope and the happiness that it just gives you, it's sa'ada, for sure, for sure. And it puts an energy there. And at the same time, you can continue the work, the activism you want to do, the justice you want to see, the change you want to be. All of that can happen, but you had to put your, put, you put your path forward as a believer, as a Muslim, in sending prayers upon the Prophet as a practice. This is just practice. And other, the other thought of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are amazing, for sure. But I just wanted to make that impression upon people, as you just mentioned. It all comes back to this transformational love of the Prophet And I'll just say this, it's in our history, it's a historical fact. Look what the Prophet was able to do. Look what the Quran says about him, that if you were heart of heart, you would find no one around you. And look what happened immediately after he passes from this temporal world. Look at the divisions, the challenges. And yet, despite all of those divisions and challenges, there's no startup like Al-Islam. There's no startup like it. With all of those different changes at leadership, three out of the four Khulafa Rashidun being assassinated, right? Think about what company would survive something like that. And yet it just kept going. And even though you had a horrific leadership, and we still have horrific leadership today, it still goes. The faith of Allah cannot be stopped. If anything can show the greatness of one man, Muhammad sallallahu and his ability to transform all of us, it's our own history. It's just brothers and sisters, we just need to think big and hope big, inshallah ta'ala. Um, we're fine. It's so good to have you back. I've just been I've been sitting back with my popcorn, listening to you guys. Hey, Denis, why did you leave me to this guy by myself? 
what's going on here? Marcel, you guys, you guys, you guys, uh, you guys uh, made some great points, you know. Um, and as you said, the best way to end is with the the prophets of them. So, uh, to our listeners uh, again, um, thanks for listening. Um, remember to check out um, almedina.org for um, the latest programs, as well as the next podcast episodes, as well as old episodes. Um, share the podcast with your friends and family, anyone you might think would benefit. Until then, we'll see you in the next podcast. Assalamualaikum, peace be unto you. Oh, so